Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Are you ready? Let's get ready to ramp up your sales. And now the man you've been waiting for. He is the real thriller in Manila. The undisputed, undefeated, reigning, defending, pound for pound, heavyweight, John, the sales machine, Rankins! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the sales machine. This is going to be an exciting day. Literally, there's people all over the world that ask me about sales and how to transform sales and sales and AI and how that's going to affect the world, affect their company and different things that are happening right now. And, you know, selling is not telling and definitely selling is not yelling. Storytelling is the best way or story selling is the best way to do it. And today's guest literally wrote the book. I'm telling you, he wrote the book on market invention, how to be unlike others. And we're here to tell you his story and how he can help you in your business. He's real, he's relevant, and he can do it right now. He has literally done this for Fortune 500 companies all over the world. He previously managed a budget of over $200 million a year for Google ads and integrations. He, he spoke at Dreamforce. Uh, he spoke all over the world. He's highly coveted as a keynote speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the author of Toothfish and Market Invention. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to the podcast, Adam Vasquez. Big round of applause. So I, I know I've been seeking after you to get you on this show for a while. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. Adam, tell us about how you came up with the idea of Toothfish and how you became the creator of Market Invention. Yeah. So, you know, as most things in our journey, right, John, you, you just follow the breadcrumbs. And, you know, I started as a studio art major in undergraduate. I was going to be a Pixar animator. That was one of the things I wanted to do. It was either that or become a web designer. And, and you know, back in when I graduated back in 1999, it was, you know, web designers were making more than engineers because nobody knew how to do this stuff, right? And so I came into the marketing scene in that first, that wave of digital marketers, that first wave that came in, right? And then as I sort of grew in my sort of marketing experience, I kept taking on different roles in marketing, whether it was direct marketing, whether it, you know, obviously digital, SEO, everything in the digital space, and developing and coding landing pages, building websites, all of this stuff. Um, PR, just taking every little sort of facet of marketing and then in sales and business development and strategy and, and, and had the blessing of working with some market inventors, right? So for first real, uh, you know, I was selling Oriental rugs and imported luxury furniture on eBay. That was my first career, John. That was my first job right out of college. And I learned a lot. A lot about eBay, a lot about e-commerce, a lot about selling luxury goods and imports and all that interesting stuff. More about rugs. I can appraise rugs now, which I never thought I'd be able to do. I'm a little rusty. I'm not going to lie. But um, but as I was moving up to your these different roles, 
I started to see patterns and I started to craft and hone my skill. And I had some tremendous mentors along the way that have successfully invented markets, you know, from Sun Microsystems to Motorola to even Gartner IT, which arguably Gartner is invented the sort of IT uh, analysts, sort of industry analyst uh, organizations. If you think if people follow Gartner, they know this, we're starting with CIOs, right? And so I, I had a lot of great mentors, as you have, and, and colleagues. And in many ways, they taught me about how to create trends. How do I analyze and identify trends? And then like the big macro stuff, the big stuff that goes across multiple industries. And then taking those macro trends, like an example, AI is a macro trend, right? It's across everything. And then taking those trends and then carving them out and creating solutions around pains that an industry has and applying these different technologies, innovations in new ways and creating basically industry trends and sometimes even mega trends. So, you know, one of the big companies, T-Connectivity that I worked with, and they were, I was formerly a, a chief marketing officer for, for their business units. And they sat actually in Germany and Pennsylvania, but all over the world, Shanghai and all sorts of good stuff. And T-Connectivity is a $14 billion electronics company, formerly Tyco. And that's really where I had put pieces together, right, in different roles in different companies over probably at least 15 years of experience before going into this role with Tyco. And I'm not there now, as, as you know, but this was, this was several years ago. This is about, uh, gosh, 14, 15 years ago now. So as I was doing this, we were, I'll use this as an example it was really built out of necessity. So nobody had called it market invention, John, right? It, it was just this way of getting people to talk about through PR about your company, you're aligning the trends. And, and I sat back and we started talking as a leadership team and we started to think about, well, what is the next trend, the components? And, and TE was at the time, and this was 2009, 2010. So we're coming right off of the Great Recession, so to speak, right? So things were really kind of bad. As you remember, things are kind of hit or miss now, but things were really, everything was in the toilet back then, as you remember, John. A lot of millennials have never lived through a recession, by the way, you know, since then. If you think about it, most millennials never even are in the workplace back then. So most of the workplace Well, they're today, about to be welcome to the party. Yeah, welcome to where people really earn their, you know, their wings. So, so it's easy when money's easy, but it's difficult when money's contracting and as we have we've experienced. So with that, we, at a necessity... We were getting squeezed on price by Chinese manufacturers on these components, John. So, so you can imagine everybody's saying they do connectors. And Tyco, so everybody knows, literally, uh, you know, I have a make the connectors, make the wire, the cable assemblies, the sensors, all this stuff. And one of the biggest strengths was nobody in the industry had their broad, their broad suite of products, right? So like distributors would have all of these type of products, but they'd have to get it from multiple original equipment manufacturers like a Tyco, right? But Tyco could actually bring it all because Tyco, before T-Connectivity, they went and bought all these companies up, just product lines, right? So we had to switch from product sell, which is, a, is good, but it's not as good as brand and product selling, bringing together storytelling and talking about this market, this trend, how your products and services align to this new trend and help this new trend. And, and all trends are 
or just a group of people saying, hey, this can help with a big pain or challenge or some issue that everybody's focusing on, right? So we realized that we were losing in margin and new business and, and, and to low cost cheap manufacturers and we couldn't win that way. But what we did realize is nobody could put literally the connector and the wire together other than a T connectivity. And by the way, it was Tyco Electronics prior to that. So we changed the name. We realized connectivity was a bigger trend. Like, And this was not just we threw stuff against the wall. It was based on research. We knew our customers. So we did a lot of research with our customers. Our sales team was very key to this because they're the voice of the customer in many ways, right? They're right there and they're listening. Like you said, they're two years, one mouth, use your ears, right? As you'll say. And so they're listening and, and nobody was really kind of calling it connectivity, but they were saying like, I need a full solution. I need something high quality. I need something to design in. And as an example, it's like, these are Volvo or Volkswagen engineers. These are Apple engineers that are buying these products from TE connectivity, right? So we sat down with these design engineers and we really kind of codified and named this sort of new electronics really category, right? In electronics. And, and it always existed, but what we did is we packaged it, positioned it and got the industry to talk about it as the next biggest trend because one of the big mega trends that was happening at the time was internet of things. So we forget about internet. We take that for granted. Everything has an internet connection right now with good or bad, right? But nothing really had back then in 2009. I mean, smartphones were very new, relatively speaking, right? Only a couple of years old. So the iPhone had only been out for three years. So we don't, we forget about that. And so using those mega trends, plucking those out and saying, okay, this is the internet of things. This is what's happening. And then we're talking G once we said connectivity, we're the leaders in connectivity. Then everybody started following and saying they were connectivity providers too. And the thing that we always talk about, John, is market followers paradox. And real quickly to that. So, so TE is where I really originated and saw the and, and we took chances on this because it was an experiment. And so we said, okay, we're going to brand, we're going to call the market connectivity. We're going to be the leader in connectivity. And we're going to align it in the vocabulary and language. So then the industry and talk to the industry experts, the trade media and everybody and industry research, like just flood it with content. So then everybody started talking about the spaces of connectivity industry. The analysts covered it, everything. And there's only one connectivity company. It's TE Connectivity. And the funny thing is, you know, I, entered, I had uh, opportunities to talk to their competitors much later after I had left TE as a corporate role. And then they were a client for several years up until recently. And they would say to me, like, I don't get it. Connectivity is a terrible name. Why would you guys do that? And they didn't understand market invention. And these are companies like Molex, Amphenol. And what happened was their market share started to tank. And you can see it as their shares going down. And Google Analytics shows that their demand is going down from a search volume. And they had no idea what happened to them because they're all slinging products. And that's when products, selling products and marketing and selling products is important from a product sales feature, benefits, like that good stuff that we learn. But people are human. Even if you're selling to a finance guy, he's still a human. So when you start to hit the trends and you give it a name and you give it something they can coin off of and get excited about being part of this trend, 
and, 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 and it aligns to their challenges because it has to align to obviously to key issues and challenges. It, it comes together. And TE in this process went from what, 15th place brand recognition overall, second behind Panasonic. Now you're like, well, you're second, Adam, but Panasonic has a consumer brand. T Connectivity doesn't have a consumer brand. You can't compete like from a, from, if you ask a person on the street, they're always going to say, oh, I know a Sony versus some B2B brand that's probably might even be better, but they're only selling to enterprise businesses, right? Because people don't think about that. So it's not out there on consumer and advertising. So, and anybody who's inventing a market, we just want our market to know we exist, right? Because that's the market we're building. Everybody yeah, else. and essentially, that's something that, you know, I, with all the salespeople I work with, uh, first and foremost is all about connection. That's the first thing you want to do is connect with people. And, but you got to know your market. <laughs> yeah. And, and so your market was not the general public as far as a consumer brand like Panasonic, yeah. but you did something very unique to salespeople, which is the second step in sales for me is situational intelligence. You actually went in there, you shut your mouth and you listened to all of these enormous companies talking about connectivity and getting what they needed for connectivity, connectivity. So these were all think tanks. So you just listened and ultimately became successful because it was really their language that was coming out of their mouth. And so it was almost their own idea. Well, exactly. Yeah. So it just made fit for you to become the only obvious choice because you were speaking their language and there wasn't even a language being spoken at that time that created a whole new market invention because your buyers from Apple and all these other big companies around the world, that was their language from an engineering background to put together the different products. So yep. in actuality, you did become number one in that space and you just weren't competing with Panasonic in a consumer brand market. Yep. And we grew to about a $20 billion market cap during that period. Think about it. And and from an investor perspective, only 20 million with a B, with a B. Only Wow. Yeah. Ah, you're yeah. in today's market, you'd be slacking. I know, right? Just right, right exactly, right? <laughs> 20, 20 billion selling connectors yeah. and connectors. Some of those connectors. Come on, folks. Imagine, yeah. imagine Adam using market invention in your business. And definitely Adam has influenced me and the sales machine in my business. That's where we came up with smart performance management. I mean, unlike just CRM. Because, you know, there's a million CRMs out there and they're really not used. 67% of them are the statistics latest, like with companies paying for CRM and then they don't use yeah. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> the people don't even want to use yeah. it. It's like epic fail, right? You invest in something to help. So that's why I used your idea for market invention, sales performance management, because I'm not interested in just having a digital address book. And that's what... I see most CRMs out there today are. Yeah, yeah right? you're right. And they were LinkedIn, in. right? Just go ahead and use LinkedIn if you just need a digital address book. You know what I mean, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, so many people get confused if you look. So back in the day, and you, you're talking about cell phones and no, you know, we grew out without internet. Yes. And <laughs> there was just major players, dude. I'm really going to date you right now. I, you know, uh, the fact, is, you know, in the old days, building software 
was, you know, you had to be a gamer already. You had to be a player already, a multi-billion dollar company because no one could compete with IBM, SAP, Oracle. No one could deal with building out code, especially they, the way they did it before was so expensive. But Mark Binoff realized something in the market yeah. that was happening every year. And that was all every year, the, the biggest challenge is hiring salespeople mm-hmm. because it's the highest turnover occupation on, in the world, right? There's very few people like me that just love it, right? Like, I just love to sell. Yeah, please, sir, may have another. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you're right. But selling, but you get it, though. I, selling is helping people, right? That's that's selling. So it's something I'm going to do for you. you you're going to thank me because I sell you something. I guarantee it. Otherwise, I would never even make that sale, right? So what Mark did when he came up with Salesforce, which is, you know, I think a digital address book, a a good one, really complicated, cumbersome, and there's lots of complaints about it. But he knew when the salespeople left, you know, 20 years ago, a company, what they took with them was their customers. So if they were working for SAP and Oracle headhunted them, they got their customers too and vice versa or IBM, or Microsoft, uh, even Apple. So coming up with a CRM was a great way for companies to retain their data. was never created to help sales people. Yeah, well, and, and the thing, when you talk about uh, Salesforce, right? I mean, Tom, you know, Siebel and Tom Siebel, Siebel Systems, remember, was, was the 98% market share at the time. And it's ironic because, because both Tom Siebel from Siebel Systems and Mark Benioff both worked for Larry Ellison at Oracle and they both ran sales there. Correct. And, and, and Oracle invested in both of them. So, uh, it's, but the thing was, right. It was the cost was too high. And then on premise, right. That was the whole thing. I mean, that was coined by Salesforce. Talk about market invention, right? I mean, they invented a market. Yeah. That's when I'm assuming I give him a lot of credit. Yeah disrupted the marketplace and came out with Salesforce, unlike anything else. So that to me is the biggest example of an industry where Mark Bianoff, a genius, that I give him total credit, he's a genius, right? Because he knew what all of these enterprise level software companies needed, which was to keep their customer, keep their data, and no one was capturing it. So if I recruit a hundred of your salespeople, I'm also going to get on average, a hundred contacts per salesperson, I get immediately a thousand new and, contacts. And the biggest thing for Mark, because it technically wasn't, I mean, it was better than Siebel, but it was, if you remember, it was cloud-based, right? Because remember we talked about holding yep. on the big mega trends and applying that to your market invention. That was the big trend at the time going to the cloud. Remember how many CIOs were like, oh, we can't ever go to the cloud, remember? And now, and even up to probably five years ago, people were like, we won't go to the cloud. And you're like, guys, you know, the cloud is more secure. And he, you know, so it's just, it is a fascinating case study of market invention. But Salesforce, it shows me that Salesforce really doesn't understand market invention or the people have left the building that did get it, right? Comfort is the enemy of success. People got comfortable. But now right? the recognition and they're not, was. They're not listening. They're not listening to their customers anymore. They're not doing what you did with connectivity and cables. See, comfort is the enemy of success. People get comfortable. They start making money. 
And that's when they get knocked off. And, and with Tycho, I mean, that's just one example. I'll share some other examples. But like Tycho was some of those companies, like when Tycho was buying up all these companies, the connector business was AMP, which was created for a crimp. It was a crimping tool company that sped up the production of B-17 bombers in World War II. That's what their claim to fame was. AMP was. And we all need bombers. Yeah, yeah. So, and then Raychem... On the other side, which is all the wire cover wrapper on anything, they were the cable that was invented uh, for radiation chemistry, which is basically vulcanized rubber that wraps all of your wires. Heat shrink, they heat it and it shrinks around it. Get memory remembers from the from the uh, heat. They were founded in World War II, also actually in Benlo Park, California. So you're talking about some old brands, right? I mean, older than easy at the time. Talking yeah. about 2000. 2005, 2006, we did this. So you're talking, you're thinking, sorry, 2009 through 2012. Sorry, that's the time frame, if I remember right. And that was how many years? 60, 70 years the businesses existed before they had to actually kind of call themselves and they were totally innovators. I mean, the tools and the, these were the founding fathers of modern day electronic components in the world. I mean, they didn't exist. Right. But, you know, without a brand, without branding and without the world knowing and without positioning yourself as the only obvious choice, then you just get, you know, in the absence of value and perceived value, everything comes down to price. And that's the race to the bottom. It's always the race to the bottom. Right. So a lot of people try to compare the sales machine to CRM. And I say, you know, it's really simple. We are not a CRM. Do we have a CRM? Of course. We put an address book into the sales machine because it's needed. It's necessary, but it doesn't drive performance at all. So in the absence of value, everything goes down to price and that's a race to the bottom. So the sales machine, we don't even do that. We built it for companies to implement a smart framework, sales, marketing, accountability, retention, and training in one platform that drives performance with rewards, recognition, competition, compensation, with levels of development. So people know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Because guess what? When people know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, they'll do it. Yeah. And so with that, what you're saying is many ways, this is what I love about Sales Machine. And so everybody knows I have done multi-million dollar integrations of CRM tools, all sorts of stuff. So I'll, I'll throw a, a, definitely a bone towards your what you're doing, John, because I think it's super exciting because honestly, the CRM software that's out right now, because it's CRM software, we're not talking about a performance uh, management system like you have. It's dumb. It's not smart. <laughs> Think about right. it because it requires... And I'm not talking about the AI and, and there's robotics process automation and, and these new tools and all that cool whiz bang stuff, but it never let, got to its full potential. And you know, it's still a tool and a soft is an, and, and everybody knows with any CRM crap in crap out. Right. And the change management of it is always, it's integrated, but it's not integrated with the software, if you know what I mean. It's not, the training's not integrated. None of it's integrated. It is purely a technology tool, a, like you said, a contact system with some workflow built into it, with some automated processes. 
it's super expensive, ironically, compared to other cheaper versions out there. I'm talking about Salesforce right now, but even because of the other parts, but it, it misses, like you said, I mean, yeah, it integrates with marketing tools, but they're just tools. And most, as you know, most marketers have become just, you know, tool, uh, you know, tactical, I just manage tools, but I don't really know why I'm doing it type of thing, right? And salespeople integrates the two. And that's something Salesforce is always trapped separate. The sales versus marketing, they try to integrate it and all these CRMs try to integrate it, but you just can't because it doesn't implement the other parts of your smarts, what you're talking about from a smart perspective. It's halfway. It's, it's not strategic. They manage. Yeah, it's so not. It's in not a all the tool tool at all. Everything we do, you have to manage, track, measure, align, and reward, right? And now you're doing something differently than everybody else. So I always talk about the psychology and the methodology. So it's the psychology, psychological triggers of actually setting people up to win, right? So they want to use that tool because it's going to help them win. And we use a methodology of rewards, recognition, competition, compensation. That methodology engages people's psychology and levels of development and learning so they want to do it. So they're engaged. And any other tool that would compete with this is, and again, this is me reflecting on everything I know about, all of the tools out there, and I know a lot, is it doesn't, it expects the person using the tool already has that baked in and there's the management process and, 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 and the training, all that stuff. It's all separate from the tool, right? And what you're talking about with the sales machine, what I've seen, which is super exciting is for the first time, for the first time I've ever seen, you're actually integrating the full, I was going to say performance development, but I would say the support of the salespeople. You know what I mean? Like it's a lonely job being out there carrying the bag, you know. And not just the salesperson. We're talking to SDR. We're talking to I mean, like the whole ecosystem. So now it's a team sport. Yes. Which I mean, some of the other CRMs are team sports. Like everybody has data. You can send leads and everything. But it's not like this because you've implemented training. You've implemented all these other best practices. You, the performance, the reward system, like. Most companies don't even know how to create a performance reward system and they're buying CRM tools. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, oh I'm yeah. buy, I'll buy a Salesforce or say a HubSpot or what's the uh, Microsoft CRM, any one of these ones. It assumes that you have all of that in place. And I could tell you right now from a corporate and enterprise perspective, you know this because you, you're great at what you do and you teach companies all the world how to sell and, and you have a incredible sales organization yourself, but that always gets forgotten or assumed or expected, you know, and it, and it needs to be integrated. It needs to be that merge of technology, process, people, it all needs to get merged together, right? And and anyways, I'll, yeah. I'll bring you enough and, plugs, and it all comes from so I'm excited about sales machine for you, you know? Yeah, because for me, it's all about psychology, right? What What stops people from moving forward? What stops companies from dominating the marketplace, from monopolizing the marketplace. It all comes back to psychology and it's not talked about enough, right? People have comfort is the enemy of success. And they people have all everybody, even organizations have blind spots. I've helped organizations find their blind spots, as have you, 
and and did market invention with them because they they get stuck right and they they get stuck and what happens is from that blind spot now they go into a crazy eight so instead of ascending they descend and then they'll they'll have short wins where they where they ascend and then they descend again but ultimately they get stuck in a crazy eight and they never get out they never break out right they break down they have a breakthrough then they break down they have a breakthrough but they never break out and go into what Ray Dalio says is a success loop what he uses uh, for me it's an ascension yep. model an ascension success model because people get stuck in their ways or they get comfortable and they start drinking their own Kool-Aid and they they start forgetting about that guy in the field, that salesperson, that marketer, that SDR, that customer service agent, are they happy where they are in their career? So the sales machine, I want it to be an environment that drives performance. There's all of this great resignation, quiet quitting, you know, ultimately, are you taking care of your people and giving them power tools for them to excel at what they do? Because it's one thing to have a tool. It's another thing to have a power tool. You're also tool. giving them a built-in mentor and, and, and. You're creating a system around them to su help them succeed, right? The other thing, I just want to make this clear to anybody who's watching, just in general, that one of the biggest issues about a CRM tool is it's just another thing a salesperson has to do every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? It's like a chore. It's a terrible, it's not a good thing. And the way people incentivize people to use a new CRM they're implementing is the number one way is to manage 100% of the pipeline through the CRM, right? Once you're, if you didn't have one or you're transitioning one, and then you penalize people for not putting their data in and penalizing people, you know, the stick, it never works as well as the carrot. And the stick also, it's just not as sustainable. It will get you a flash, a, a sprint or something, but long run, you get all these other things that you just mentioned about quiet quitting, you know, low performance, stagnation, you know, under underperforming in general, and well, just bad health for your team. And 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 so I always think it's it's just fascinating to to see a technology that now exists that does this. Anyways, it's super cool. You know, one thing that you did touch on, John, that I think is really super fascinating, and you nailed it. But for people that wanted to know more about market invention, it's really about belief systems. A market is a belief system, right? It's a set of values 100%. and belief systems. And so when I tell people, most people fail at identifying a market like a category, like a product category or a thing. They forget a market is, this is my definition of a market. It's a community of people coming together to exchange ideas and value to solve a shared pain around a shared belief system, right? And, and there's crossover all the time with belief systems. You know, I mean, you know, you and I can share the same belief system, have overlap in like we're talking about with CRMs today, but we might have a different belief system for, I don't know, the houses we like or cars or whatever, or even, you know, what we find aesthetically pleasing with, you know, uh, with the opposite sex or not, or the same sex. It doesn't matter, but you know what I mean? There's similarities and most marketers don't understand this. If you want to know a sophisticated true marketer versus somebody who is a tactician, which most are, then tactician, I don't mean that in a negative way, but to somebody that knows how to 
do ads, you know, do Google ads, right? If they're not working and if it's not in their little toolbox, they can't tell you the bigger stuff, why it's not working because maybe the belief system or whatever else. But, you know, knowing how to do a Google ad doesn't make you a good marketer, right? It just makes you a good technician, right? And so anybody, you can train anybody to push buttons on a software, honestly, right? So the key difference is understanding that point, which you clearly understand is, listen, I'm in a market a market isn't mine, but if I do it right, my brand represents the value system of that market. So then I'm synonymous with that market. So when people get excited about whatever this market means and they go out to buy stuff from that market or contribute or collaborate, what have you, you're going to be top of the list because you represent, you're like the shiny beacon of that belief system, right? And then that goes into the market followers paradox. And this is something that, you know, I coined. It's not, I coined it, but it's not a, I will say, you'll get it. It's not, it's intuitive. Uh, so, so the market follower paradox is just this. If you are not the leader of your market or industry, anything you do to promote yourself promotes the industry and the market leader with it. Because Why? Because you're selling the same values and belief systems as they are. So, so all you're doing is just pumping up because of the internet. What happens when you find out, you hear of a new product or a new trend or something else? You go search, you're going to find the top, it does it. Chances are you'll buy from them. And then, or if you don't, it'll trickle down. So then everybody else gets the table scraps of what's left over from the main feast, right? And so, and you can't break that. If you're a market follower, and some people are okay with being a market follower, you can make a ton of money being a market follower, right? You can. You Number two is not necessarily a bad place. Number five isn't a bad place if it's a big enough market, right? But the view and the smell never changes when you're following, right? Yeah. So, I mean, but it's a choice. Some people are okay with it. Some people are not. So, but I can tell you when you're inventing a market, it may, can sometimes take a lot more patience because you're creating something from scratch and you're organizing and bringing community together. But once you get past it, certainly as you get to critical mass, you never take that away ever again because everybody is being measured to you, right? That's and, right. And, and everybody's following, following the market followers paradox. So they're advertising, but they're advertising for you and they don't even know. They don't even realize. That's a great quote. The lead sled dog always has the best view. It does. It does. So it's just the way it is. And and you'll net, and it's okay. I mean, you have multiple competitors in that sort of space, but it's just not, you know, you're never going to retain the top talent. You're never going to retain, you know what I'm saying? Like you're going to find people that are comfortable in the market follower lands, right? Yeah. And if you want to, you want to be the best, you got to attract the best. That's just reality today. And I don't tolerate comfort for myself, right? If I'm getting comfortable, that's a warning sign. That's a red flag for me. And at the same time, I understand humanity, right? I understand this, the psychology. I've studied NLP yeah. and, and I built and trained sales teams for 30 years, right? So I understand, you know, what it is to be a customer, what it is to be a client. I understand what it is to serve. And for me, Sales is all service and solving problems and satisfying customers. That's why I do it for you, not to you. And that psychology with that methodology of empowering people with power tools built into technology just makes everybody's life better, faster, more efficient, and they can grow and achieve more in a short period of time. 
especially there's a lot of companies out there that are really struggling to drive performance, right? I mean, people get comfortable, generational change. And, you know, with even COVID, that's a black swan event. People got used to working at home. People got comfortable, right? And comfort is truly the enemy of success for not just personally, but for companies, for organizations, even for countries, they get comfortable, right? And so I'm always looking uh, for that slight edge. And sometimes it can be something very small, like market invention. It takes effort, but it's just a small part of understanding psychology and belief systems and what the market is believing. And where are you positioning yourself? Because otherwise, you're always going to be following the leader. It's spending your advertising on them. Yeah. And, and you know, this is a great point because there's so many internet marketers and you talk about tacticians and look, you know, I've hired people to do, you know, piecemeal or different work and that's fine. And I, I find value for value. Yes, me too. But there's so many internet marketers out there that are false prophets and salespeople that are false prophets as well. And that's why people are resistant to either sales or marketing and entertaining offers because they built up this, you know, protection mechanism that's natural to protect ourselves. But because of all the false profits, a lot of marketers will say, well, their get out of jail free card is always, you just got to spend yeah, more money. Right. Right. You got to run more until you have none left. Well, this is a great one. This is a great one. You got to do what the market leader's doing. Meanwhile, you're a startup. The market leader's got, you know, a $10 million budget. So you want me to throw my ads out there beside dude. And and so, you know, talk about a race to the bottom. That's self-sabotage, right? And that's what they promote. Well, Facebook is doing this or, or this company is doing that or that company is doing that. Yeah, well, unless, you know, the way to win in a space is like you're talking about market invention, PR, guerrilla marketing, getting out there and talking to people, right? Because ultimately, in today's age, like you said, it's okay to be number one, two, three, or four. It's okay to be number two, three, four, or five, right? But if you're entering a space and you don't have that ad budget and you're taking on a 500-pound gorilla, there's no way you're going to take out a 500-pound gorilla unless you find a bigger freaking gorilla. Yeah, right. Exactly. To partner with. Yeah. Yes. Yes. With a shotgun, possibly. (laughs) A bigger freaking gorilla. He'll position you where you want to go. But even a big gorilla is not going to giddy up its horse to you if you don't have a unique purpose and are creating the next trend in the industry, right? hundred percent. That's right. So Adam, I, you know, I work with a lot of CEOs and not just run my own company, as you know, I also work with CEOs and I'm always a, you know, pay it forward guy. And a lot, I had a lot of mentors, a lot of people helped me. So people reach out to me uh, and I sit on boards in the boardroom and I actually do advisory for private clients. And um, it always comes up. I remember when you completely, when I, I first met you in uh, Vegas at the Lightspeed Summit, right? And it was just phenomenal. A lot of great minds. Uh, but I remember how you came in and just completely 
mesmerized and blew away the entire crowd, right? It's a two-day summit. You just slayed it. You stole the show. And it just made so much sense to me. And so from then on, I, I've been talking about market invention, especially to all my clients. And I, I use two words, you know, unlike others. You, you got to be unlike others and yeah, yeah. all the way down to your market. And I remember when you, you told the story and I want my listeners to hear it because story selling is so powerful. You hooked me back then. And, you know, and I share this with all my clients every single time I onboard a new private client, anybody who's really struggling about the Patagonia toothfish. <laughs> toothfish. Yeah. Yes. And, and yeah. your book, You're right? right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal book that goes deep into the psychology, not just the tactical things, but the transformational things you need to do to scale a business. And, and that's what this podcast is about. Any way, in any shape or any form, getting real people on that are relevant, <clears throat> that can guide people how to increase their sales, drive performance and retain their customers. And that's why I wanted you on here. So will you take them through that story? Because not only did it hurt my heart, right? But I use it with every client. So thanks for that. I probably owe you royalties. No, man, it's there. It's oh, And I, I made it. There's no secrets in that book. And, you know, John, maybe you and I should write another book together or a book together about bringing it, bringing it home. But I think, you know, the biggest thing, you know, we we're looking, I was looking for a title for the book and a, and a story to kind of put it all in picture. And, and I remember this real obscure story from, I read a lot, as you know, John, I mean, I read like a hundred books a year, like every year. And so I read just a lot of crap. And so there's a lot of stuff up here and sometimes not very organized. Right. So I'm going through it. I'm like, man, I know I saw something I'm like, is it tilapia? No, it's not tilapia. Is it, what is this? No. And, and I was like, holy crap, it is, there's two fish. So, so, okay. So, so the story goes this way, a guy named Lee Lance in the seventies, he was a wholesale fisherman. Well, he sold whole, wholesale fish and you want to talk about a commodity, right? Wholesale fishing is about as commodity as it gets because it only comes down to price and the quality of the fish and the fish, right? I mean, there's no, like, if you're going to get a tuna, you're going to get a tuna and you try to find the best quality for the cheapest price. There's no like, and the relationships are important, of course, right? But there's not a lot of differentiation if you really think about it. If, you know, you're talking, you're grabbing a natural product that anybody else can grab. It's not like you're creating a new fish until Lee Lance did such a thing. And he didn't create this Frankenstein fish. No, what he did was he identified, he was going to his New York restaurants and, you know, he was doing okay. He's doing well, right? as a fish uh, monger, basically, he was basically like, okay, this is good, but my business isn't really breaking out people. I'm losing business to cheaper wholesalers. This sucks. You know, I, I just lost a client, you know, this is, this is miserable. That's why I always tell entrepreneurs is like market invention may seem bigger, but it's actually better. Cause you're going to go through the same pain regardless. So you might as well create something that's going to help you Build something that's yours rather than build somebody else's, right? If you're going to go through the world of entrepreneurship, right? Honestly, there's there's already enough pain that comes with it. You know? So so Lee knew this. So Lee went down to where he catches a lot of his fish or he sources his fish down at a small South, South American fishing village. And he went down there and he told all the fishing guides he was coming down and, 
and they all lined up all these new fishes. Like I'm looking for a new fish, I'm looking for a new fish. So they lined up all these fishes and, and talking about it from like a product research perspective. And, and he's going through the products and, and he's going through the products. He's literally eating with the fishermen and, and the, the catches that he brings. And he's going through and he's eating it all. And there's a bunch of fish and good, good, good. Okay, this is good, but not great. Not exactly what I'm looking for. And comes down to the last fisherman and he brings out this fish and they start eating it. And he's like, dang, this is delicious. This white, flaky, thick. This is exactly what I was looking for. What's the name of this fish? Why haven't I ever, you ever sold it to me or I even was aware of it? And the gentleman, the, the fisherman said to him, he's like, well, this is the, you know, the, the, by, the, the bycatch, meaning the fish that we catch that comes up with the nets, but we don't sell it to you guys because there's no market for it. We just keep it and eat it, bring it home because it's so good. And we're like, well, nobody knows about it, how good this is, right? He's like, like, okay, this is awesome. So what's the name? It's a Patagonia toothfish. He's like, a what? Patagonia toothfish? What the heck is that? Never heard of it. Well, so it's a type of cod. So you guys, so everyone knows it's a type of codfish. And so it's okay. Well, what does it take? So he sat down and they, you know, because you got to actually build stuff. Even if you're selling fish, they had to create a new fishing technique because these things were deep and hard to get to. And with their fishing techniques that they normally use were not the ones that could get this fish reliably, consistently, right? So they had to innovate and create new fishing techniques, all sorts of stuff to get this fish. So he takes it up to New York and he presents it. And what does he present it as? Because he knows the market name and what they're looking for. And he wants to sell this as a premium fish because it is hard to get to. And he knows that he's going to own a market. He can own the price and all of that other stuff. So that's where we get Chilean sea bass. So Chilean sea bass. Chilean sea bass, so Chilean, baby, on every So menu. Chilean sea bass is not a bass at all. It's a cod. And, you know, you think about it. Cod is the kind of fish that you find in fish sticks. But... It got so popular. Now it's over a billion, like $3 billion market, right? And it got so popular that they had to like start putting regulation on the fishing, Patagonia fish, uh, toothfish fishing industry because it was going bonkers. And so anytime you see Chilean sea bass, think about how Lee Lance invented a market called Chilean sea bass, took a product that nobody ever saw, heard, or even used before, except for the, the in, you know, the fishermen, the inside people, insiders, and is a cod and created this luxury fish market out of nothing. And so, you know, and that's a fish, but that was an existing product. So a lot of times I tell people, the CEOs, and I say, you know, look, sometimes you just got to look through your products. You might have your Patagonia fish, toothfish, literally sitting and developing right there, but you haven't positioned it right, or you haven't, you haven't categorized it right, or you haven't aligned it to a customer pain and the need properly, or told the story so that they can see the vision with you and be like, that's exactly what I've been looking for, right? Because because that's the key. You're creating a, a market. Your company needs to be a market platform. And I'm not just saying yours, but everybody. When we create companies, we're creating there to serve our market around this belief system that maybe there was people doing stuff before. Maybe there was nobody doing anything like this before. And then you have to get prepared to give it over to your community. Because it's your community that moves it forward, not the company brand. And, and those are your customers. Those are, and it's not even just the ecosystem we talk about. Because a market, that community, sure, there's the customers and there's you, right? But there's your employees. Correct. There is media and influencers. 
there's governments. Uh, you know, try to stay wide, take a wide berth around that most of the time. But sometimes it can be really helpful. Actually, it can actually be really helpful. And you know, blocking competitors and other stuff that happens all the time. But, but the point is, is and you got investors. You got this entire ecosystem around you, and that's the community. And a lot of times, people don't even know what their community is. They don't. They they don't have a clue. You know, you make such a great point, and I, you know. I never, ever, ever, Adam, ever thought I would be in the software business because in, and in actuality, I don't even consider myself being in the software business as much as I'm in the people business because I'm all about performance and empowering people. And in actuality, you know, we met several years ago and I was managing over 3,000 uh, salespeople and, you know, there's a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of, uh, it's just a lot of work. Even though I have uh, senior level executives, vice presidents, divisional managers, and levels in the organization, we're constantly innovating and reinventing ourselves because we didn't have technology before. Our learning systems were outdated. Our products were outdated. We upgraded all those things and I went looking for the solution for me to be able to automate the psychology, the methodology and technology. And truth be told, I went to Salesforce. I went to HubSpot. I went to NetSuite even, who built an ERP. And I'm like, this is what I need. And they're like, well, that's not what we do. And I'm like, well, I can put my leads in Excel and do the same thing you guys are doing. As a matter of fact, I am. It's just, you know, I'll be paying a lot more if you know that we put them into your process, but it doesn't drive behavior. So I, in actuality, built it to solve my own problem because I was a new father then and I felt responsible for our organization not going to the next yeah. level. And I felt like I was failing my people. And to me, that was just unacceptable, you know, because I make a promise and our organization is all about empowering people, ordinary people to become extraordinary yeah. with our products and our systems and our value. And uh, that's why we created the sales machine. And I'm, you know, now people talk to me and they're like, how long have you been in the software? Guys, I'm a new guy. That's good. But I'm not new building sales teams and empowering But you see, the cool thing is a successful markets come from a market inventor and a successful market inventor. Most of them, in my experience, and I've, Let's just say that I've done this with well over 200 companies. Most of the best market inventors, the ones that are successful, are ones that experienced the pain themselves and decided they had to do something themselves, right? Think about that. It's true. It's true, man. I felt like I was failing my people. It's one thing to fail, but it's another thing when you're failing others, right? And that's just unacceptable to me, you know? And I take failure just like I get knocked down, I get right back up. But taking failure and when I, I'm responsible for, you know, 3,000 people's lives, that is not acceptable yeah. to me. So, but I have been knocked down. Yeah, yes. Keep yes, back yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's the key, right? I mean, you just got to keep moving. What's the alternative? Giving up? Like, that's not, a, that's not an option in my humble opinion. <laughs> just go lay down and die. I got to curl up in a corner and be done. No, there's too much to be experienced. And there's so much, there's so much room for 
entrepreneurs like yourself or, I mean, really market inventors. And, and it's funny. One of the things people ask me, it's like, oh, Nikolai Tesla, he was a market inventor. I'm like, no, he wasn't. He was an inventor. You know who was the real market inventor? Tom Edison. And, you know, and you could argue, and I'm forgetting his name. There's a story about him in Think and Grow Rich, the guy that really was on the marketing and sales side that, uh, you know, the old story about how he kept calling to Edison and wanting to be his partner and wanting to be his partner. And I'm forgetting his name, so maybe we can fact check that. But Thomas Edison knew the difference. Thomas Edison was the inventor, but he knew he needed somebody with a sales and marketing, somebody could pull, rally a community around his innovations to really get it to adoption. And that's the key. It's rare to find somebody that has both those attributes, obviously. But regardless, it's fascinating because you look at the Wright brothers and, and think about Nikolai Tesla. We don't, we're getting Tesla infrastructure now, but thanks for like Elon and the rest of those guys putting it in. He's, his technology was better than Edison's technology. It was better, but it was not. You missed the whole commercialization side and being, yeah, you can have the best product in the matter. world. You exactly. don't know how to market yeah. it. You're still dead yeah, in the and, water. And, and another example, it's like, okay, if invention and innovation was enough, John, right? Why are we not flying Wright Brothers airplanes? We're not. We're flying Boeing, Airbus. I mean, William Boeing, they're not innovative like the Wright Brothers. I mean, the Wright Brothers first flight and everything. And they didn't even have big budgets, right? The uh, a gentleman who had, he had like 10 times the amount of money and was the popular person to get us the flight, had all the money, all the government contracts, everything, didn't get there, spent all the money and didn't get there, but the Wright Brothers did. And that's the thing, like when we talk about what you're doing, and, and I just talk about market invention in general, it's actually the cheapest way to get industry leadership because once you're positioned, then when you go to throw gasoline on the fire through advertising, then it just scales you. Because if you do it the other way around, then, you know, you're just feeding the leader. You talk about public relations and stuff like that. People want a story, yes. you know, if you're just another ordinary CRM out there, or you're just another ordinary widget, yeah. widget like anything else out there, and you're unlike others, or you're not using it to change people's lives or help people, then it's really not a story. It's just more of the same thing. And you become a wallflower. So that's the power of marketing. You are, you know, see it at the highest levels and even the lowest levels. And what I love about you simplifying it, even, you know, the fish industry. And if you go deeper into the Chilean sea bass, when I grew up, people didn't like fish because it was too smelled and, and America's seafood was not good. So, you know, the fish sticks or the codfish, like, like, like I live on the islands, yeah, right? Yeah, you're and, living in you know, they seafood want heaven. The stinkiest, oiliest. If it's not stinky, oily, dark, they don't want it. They're not interested, right? Americans, we grew up and it was perfect. It was, it was like the perfect storm. Uh, creating a luxury market with fish that had very little taste, right? In an American market who wanted to get healthier. That's like the, the perfect storm to go into a market where there wasn't any good fish, right? And, and you were repelled if you smelt fish, right? We didn't grow up on the islands. It's a different, uh, it's a, just a different culture. Totally. totally. So, Anyway, tell me and, and the audience, Adam, where can people find you and connect with you? Because you've had an, an extremely 
huge effect on me going to the market with the sales machine. A lot of my clients, like I say or said, you know, I introduce them all to the toothfish story because it's so powerful. And it doesn't matter what size of company you're in. This can be implemented in your company right away. So where can people find you, Adam? So Adam Vasquez. So Adam, I'll just spell it out, V-A-S-Q-U-E-Z.co. So adamvasquez.co. That's the best way to get a hold of me and or find me on my social handles. LinkedIn is always a great way to connect with me. Twitter, YouTube, and uh, as well as Instagram. I'm out there. So if you just do a search Adam Vasquez, Toothfish, or even just Market Invention, you'll find me. And, and this is why I always tease people when they're like, is Market Invention a thing? I'm like, well, I use Market Invention to create Market Invention, and it's generated millions of dollars for me. So again, we talk about the logic loop you get trapped in. That's a logic loop you can't get out of because then you can't deny its existence because it, I've used it to grow my business. And I know from a fact it works. I'm not a person that... Like I experiment, I'm an innovation freak. I love innovation. I love pushing where we, we're going. But when it comes down to, you talked about a lot of false prophets and false gurus out there when there's tons, there's more than there are not, right? You know, I've always prided myself that this has actually been done through decades in lots of pain, sweat, and failures and knowing what works and what doesn't in more than 200 companies this has been done with. So anyway, so that's my, that's my spiel of marketing. Yeah, and, and you know, the... Toothfist, billion-dollar industry, billion-dollar market now, it in its own market, in the fish market. Mark Binoff, Salesforce, uh, lots of people have done it. You do it with companies. Thank you, Adam, Thank you. so much for being here today. It's an honor and a Same pleasure. Here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep doing market invention myself for the sales machine to give us a competitive edge to help other people. I love it. And and I'll just say this, John, you're a master in what you do. You're a great human being and you're one of the most generous people I've ever met. So I really, really appreciate your friendship and everything. And in Sales Machine, with the amount of experience you have, it's it's wonderful that you're pursuing this and pushing this and driving innovation and and really a function that has some innovation, but Really, we haven't seen a lot of innovation in sales from that perspective in a long time. Salesforce.com was started in 1998. Think about that. That's a lifetime when you talk about the speed of change these days, right? Think about that. It's time for a new system and I'm excited for you and good luck. And I, I just can't wait. And so thanks so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it, John. Yep. I look forward to collaborating. Have a great day, Adam. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining me today. And if you got value from this episode, do me a favor. Like, subscribe, and refer a friend. And if you want even more value, go to thesalesmachine.com, click on resources, and there's tons of resources there to increase profits and drive performance in your business. Right on, right on, come on.